0: Welcome to Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm Rachel. And today, uh, since yesterday, I shared about my, uh, what happened with my stroke, like um, the day that it happened and and throughout the time that I was really trying to figure out uh, what my path was going to be in the beginning. Um Today, I want to talk about what happened in my, um, uh, when I reached the end of my line with the, uh, with alcoholism, and knew that I needed to get help when I reached rock bottom. Um, So I'm trying to set this up so that um, I know throughout the episodes, there's going to be a lot of um, times when I, I kind of say random stories and stuff so i thought it might be best if i at least tell what i can uh, about uh, to give a foundation of of my alcoholism and my recovery from alcoholism and then yesterday of my stroke and my recovery from my stroke and um i i've i've been sharing a little bit with a couple people that i'm close to that i've been doing this podcast and um I feel inclined to tell people when I mention it that I'm not doing this so that I, you know I think I'm gonna become an internet sensation or anything like that. I'm doing it because um, I need I needed an outlet to talk about what I'm going through and um, it's also a great way for me to keep, my family updated, they can just listen to this, um, instead of, um, me having to tell people the same stories over and over. Um, this is just a, a great way for me to talk about it, to get it out and heal myself and, um, and to also stay connected to my family. And they're able to, um, to know how I'm doing emotionally. I really had, had gotten to a a pretty bad place over the past week. And, um, and I feel like I was my, my recovery from alcoholism was, was slightly being, I was vul- I was vulnerable and I could tell that I was vulnerable. So, um, I want to be as open and honest as I possibly can be. So, giving me a channel to talk freely every day is uh is perfect for me and um and and who knows um if it helps one person in the world recover from alcoholism or recover from their stroke then there's a bonus um I do post on Facebook every year on my anniversary. So on April 28th I celebrated 7 years of sobriety and that includes no mind altering drugs as well. And um and I have found that each year that I do post on Facebook there is at least one person in my network of Facebook friends, which I think I have like a little over 500 or something like that, there's at least one person that reaches out to me that either they have a problem and they need help or they um, just got sober or they have a loved one that is suffering as well. So it seems like um, it's a channel for me to at least, um, let people know that there's somebody just like them if they are suffering from, um, the compulsion to drink as I did. So seven years ago, I, um, I went into a rehab facility for the second time. And, um, what led me there is, uh, is that my life was unmanageable. Um, I was drinking 24 seven and that's not always the case for everybody, but for me it was. I was drinking um, in the middle of the night, in the morning, in the car, um, at work, at lunch, then at work again, then on the way home, Um, Then at home, and I never stopped. And it's not like I was loaded all the time. I just always had alcohol in my system, so that I could function. And, um, and it wasn't always that way. It just grew into that I grew into this place where I felt like I couldn't stop. And, um, you know, people told me, well, just stop, Rachel, just don't do it. (laughs) And, um, and it just, it doesn't work like that when you have the disease of alcoholism, it doesn't work like that. Um, so I had gone to rehab eight months prior to that. And, um, when I went in that time, I, was on a walker because I was, um, going through withdrawal. So I couldn't walk or, um, or anything like that. It was terrible. And, um, and, you know, I had the audacity to blame the nurses there for giving me medications that are making me not be able to walk. I wasn't even willing to admit that I was going through withdrawal. Um, and that's kind of the craziness that happens when, when you're suffering from the disease of alcoholism, and um, and I do believe it is a disease. And in order for me to come to that conclusion, I've had to do a lot of research. And um, there's one book in particular that was the that brought me over to the dark side, and that book is called Under the Influence. And it's more of a technically, you know, technical medical book about what happens to the body of a of an alcoholic and why it is that they can't stop drinking. And um, and so, anywho, um, so uh, I had gone to rehab the first time. Um, I didn't take any of the suggestions that were. Given to me when I was at rehab, which were to when I leave rehab to go to a therapist, go to AA meetings, get a sponsor and all that stuff. I picked and choose what I wanted to do and um, and couldn't get out of my head that. I was not going to be drinking for the rest of my life, and that just seemed absolutely impossible. That I was never ever going to have a drink of alcohol for the rest of my life, and so I drank again um, because I just didn't—I didn't think that was possible. So um, eight months later, uh, I, I had been—I was hiding it. I was hiding alcohol um, in my closet, in my bathroom, under my bed. Um, in my boots, those knee-high boots, those were uh, very helpful to hide alcohol in them. Um, under my car, you know, the seat of my uh, driver's seat of my car, um, anywhere I could find to hide it. And uh, and I thought that I was so smart, but of course, everybody in my house knew that I was hiding it, knew that I was drinking again. And that one day, my daughter said to me, it's okay to try again. And um, It's very seldom that I can say that without crying because it was a very, um, pivotal moment for me when she looked at me and said that. And so I went back to rehab. Um, I definitely did not want to go, but I did. My mom drove me. I drank the whole way there. And when I was getting out out of the car, I was chugging my wine. Um, so, it was not kicking and screaming, but it was as close as you get to kicking and screaming, and um and at that point I was willing to take and follow every suggestion and and so I went to a therapist for two years. I got a sponsor. I went to AA meetings. I started um, building a network, and it took a long time for me to find. Uh, a meeting that really worked for me where I actually felt like I could connect to the folks in the room. Um, but I did. And and it really took five years probably before I went to um, a meeting that I felt like I was home and I felt like those people were my family. And that's the meeting that I go to every single morning, even on holidays and weekends at 7am. And, um, and I'm really grateful to have those people as part of my recovery, a part of my journey. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, I have been, um, not without problems and, um, and not without struggles. Throughout, you know, when you stop drinking, life still happens, but um, but it has given me certainly a um, a guide for living, and I almost wish that they taught this in school. I wish that um, I take every chance I get to, without my kids knowing, give them advice that I've learned in my program in order to to live. And um so I did skip through all the terrible stuff about how, um what happened before I went to rehab, rehab um and that's that's a little bit on purpose because uh I know it's going to come out in a lot of my episodes and um and so we'll save that excitement for later but what I do know that I can share is that um there were signs throughout my life that i was an alcoholic and and i just thought i was just like everybody else and so things like you know going to a high school party and one of my friends was was having the party and i drove myself there and i got so lit that uh, my brother had to drive me home um you know that's what i thought that's what high school people do. You know, that's what I thought. And, um, but that behavior never changed. It, it happened in college. I ended up getting a, a DUI when I was in college and I, you know, I thought, well, that's what happens when you're in college. You get a DUI, you know, I just thought all of this stuff was, was normal. Um, I remember when I was in, uh, I was in a sorority in college, and I remember them telling me that I was an alcoholic in college. And I thought that that was so mean for them to call me names like that. I didn't, I, I thought alcoholics were people that lived under a bridge and drank whiskey or bourbon or whatever it is that they have in that paper bag. I thought that's what an alcoholic was. I thought alcoholics were homeless. I didn't know alcoholics could be, you know, a successful working woman with two kids and with a house and pays the bills and everything. Um, And the thing is, is that my bottom everybody's bottom is different and my bottom didn't lead to me being homeless, but it could have. And it was, I was well on my way. I started to be a couple months behind on my paying my mortgage and stuff like that. And, um, and so I didn't, I stopped drinking before I got to that point. Um, but I have a lot of friends in my, in my, network of alcoholics that, um, that didn't stop before they were homeless, a lot of them. And, um, and so without, without definitely sharing any information about other folks' stories, I definitely will, will, uh, continue to focus on my own. Um, but it really wasn't until I, uh, I realized, well, there was one moment that, um, one evening I remember looking in the mirror and this is after my daughter told me that, um, that I could try again. I was still drinking still. It wasn't like she told me that. And then I stopped drinking and, and, um, put on my ruby red slippers and and got into, um, rehab or anything like that. But, um, I, I remember looking in the mirror before I went to bed and I just looked dead. I looked like I was a shell of a person and there was nothing alive inside me. And, um, and I remember whispering to myself, you're already dead because I knew, I heard a lot about how, you know, like my brother even said, you're killing yourself. And I was thinking, no, I'm not. I'm not killing myself. I'm drinking. I, yeah, I drink a lot, but I'm not killing myself. But um, I did begin to realize that I was killing myself. I the Before I went to rehab the first time, um, this is going to be TMI, but that's okay. I'm here to share anything. Um, I actually was, my urine was bright reddish orange. That's how bad my um, my organs were beginning to shut down, not be able to keep up with what I was putting in my body. Um, so all the signs were there, but I just kept on drinking. And, and that's what's uh, the cunning, baffling part of the disease of alcoholism. Um, so um, it wasn't until I really... Started to see that I was dying, and and that my life was unmanageable. That that I was not going to be able to continue to live like that. I wasn't going to live. I was going to die. If I didn't kill myself, I would have killed somebody else. Driving, I was driving drunk all the time, and um, and so. Um, you know, I thought the first time when I went to rehab that I was like admitting defeat. I thought that's what I was doing by going to rehab, but that's not what happened. I was still, um, I was still suffering on the inside and it wasn't until I turned my will over, turned off my water. That's what I call it. My wanter. Um, I turned off my wanter and did what what the next right thing that, um, that I was able to, to actually start healing. And um, because as long as I continued to want to drink and, and, but didn't drink, I was freaking miserable. And, um, and so that's, that's what happened. Um, It reminds me of, uh, I was in a meeting once and There was a woman in there and that just happened to be a day that I had been driving home and over the past 24 hours, I had been like romanticizing the drink, thinking about how great it would be if I could go home and pour a cold glass of Chardonnay and drink it and just unwind and just, just one, that's all I wanted And, um, and so I went in this, in this meeting and I didn't say anything to anybody. I was, I, I very much needed to go to a meeting. I knew that because I knew what was going through my mind. But, um, what happened was a woman in there, uh, about halfway through the meeting started sharing that, um, that she was back again. She had been drinking and she was back and she wanted to try to stop drinking again. And she said, my problem is that I just want to have that one drink. I want to be able to take the edge off. And she had been going through a lot of personal stuff. And, and a lot of times that's what sends people back out. And so she, she said, but the problem is when I have one drink, I, uh, I, I can't just have that one, like I can put the cork on the bottle, but I'm going to get it back out. By the time I get to the bottom of the drink, I'm going to get the bottle back out. And so the key is, is not taking that first drink. And, um, as much as we try to just have one or two, um, or we try to switch over to beer instead of wine or hard liquor, uh, not have hard liquor and have beer instead, as much as we try to do that. um, Like for me, I was just completely unsatisfied and, and again, miserable. If I didn't have my wine, if I didn't have my 10 glasses of wine and it probably was at least 10 glasses of wine, they were watered down with ice. And that was my excuse to have 10. Um, But, um, but we can't just have one. And so the importance it, of staying away from the first drink, um, they say that the 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 staying away from the if I stay away from the first drink, I won't get drunk, and um and that's very that's very true because if I have one, it's impossible for me to to hold back. It, the compulsion sets in as soon as I have one. It's just like you hear when people start smoking. Um, you just have one and you're a full blown smoker again. It's just like that. And, um, and so back to this, this individual that was sharing in the meeting, she, uh, after the meeting, so I shared right after her and I cried and you'll notice a theme. I cry a lot. So, uh, the, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that today. I was ashamed of it growing up, but I'm okay with it today. I think it's healthy for me. Um, And it shows that I'm very empathetic and a very passionate, compassionate person. So I shared after her and I was crying and I said, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for your vulnerability that you shared, um, that, that you went back out and that you're back again and you're very strong to be able to do that. And I shared that I had been romanticizing the drink and thinking how much I just want one drink to take the edge off. And today I know that I can't do that thanks to your share. So as much as, um, we feel like we go out and we fall off the wagon, we come back in, we feel like a failure. Um, I wanted her to know uh, the importance of coming back and sharing your story because it keeps the rest of us sober. And, um, and so I went up to her after the meeting and I said, um, Thank you again for being vulnerable and just keep coming back to the meeting. Um, You'll get it and all of that. And, and she got this little half kind of grin on her face and she laughed uh, kind of a little giggle. And she said, yeah, (laughs) my family thinks that I'm going to die. Thinks I'm going to kill myself. And guess what? She died. She died I think within three days of that, I never saw her again. And, um, and I was devastated. I couldn't believe that, that I had just encountered somebody with suffering from the same disease as me, suffering from the same romanticizing the drink as me. I chose not to pick it up. She chose to pick it up and she's gone. She's gone and she's never coming back. And that was probably about four years ago, I think, that she had passed away. And so that is the, that's the reality of the disease that I live with. And, um, and this is one of the, this is probably the biggest reason why I'm doing this podcast. Because I have to share what's going on in my head, or I might not be here, you know, in three days, I have got to continue to be honest and open with myself, with my loved ones. And, um, and seeing that I have a new layer of recovery that's been added um, to my journey. It's even more important that I share how I'm recovering from both of these. So um, so with that, um, I'm really grateful that I have this outlet, even if not a single soul listens to it. Um, but I have a feeling that some people who care about me will, and I'm very appreciative of that. So I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye.